Well, we're back in Matthew chapter 5, as you heard, going through the Sermon on the Mount, and really, what better text on Mother's Day than who plans these things, you know, than a sermon on lust. What did you hear at your church today? Oh, lust, good. Can I come with you next week? That's the response you'll get. Well, it's good to be back with you. I've missed you. I feel like I haven't been here for a couple weeks, so it's, it's great to be back with you. Um, here's the sermon summary for us as we dive into Matthew chapter 5, 27 through 30. The sur- sermon summary is this, the command do not commit adultery condemns our regular and reoccurring lustful thoughts. The command do not commit adultery condemns our regular and reoccurring lustful thoughts. Now, first, let's do a little uh, reminder about where we are. Remember, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, which is just one sermon given by Jesus in its entirety, and we're taking it sort of chunk by chunk, which is great, but sometimes you can kind of, uh, you know, miss the forest for the trees type of thing as we, as we go through little pieces. You know, he didn't preach a piece and then go off for a week and come back and preach another piece. So let's be reminded a little bit about where we are. Chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew is this Sermon on the Mount. The whole, all of those chapters, the Sermon on the Mount. And in, in this section here, which is really 27 through 30, it sits within the section of kind of 17 through the end of the chapter where Jesus is trying to help us understand the law correctly. So it's sort of Jesus on the law. Jesus' take on the law is this section that we find ourselves in. So he expounds on the Ten Commandments. As you see, he goes through several of the Ten Commandments and sort of expounds on them and expands them. Well, he shows us the correct view of them, I guess. And so this is Jesus on the law. He has all of these sayings. You'll see it over and over again. You have heard that it was said, but I say. That's kind of the the section we find ourselves. Two things bookend. I know some of you love this. Two things bookend this section, and they're very important. Jesus is a great orator, and so he gives us this kind of comment at the beginning of this section and the comment at the end of this section. You'll see that kind of helps us understand everything that's in between it. The one at the beginning would be Matthew 5.20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So that's kind of a summary statement, and then he's going to explain that further, and then he's going to close with the statement on the end that's going to kind of reaffirm that, actually say it with more strength, and that is Matthew 5, 48. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So those are the two bookends. In the middle, we have this, you have heard it was said, dot, 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 but I say. That's where we find ourselves in this Jesus teaching on the law. Two very heavy statements, right? Be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. You're meant to feel the weight of those. You're meant to feel that those are heavy and lofty. You're meant to understand Jesus not saying, hey, guys, give it your best, and I'll just kind of make up the rest. That's not the message of Jesus. It's extremely high, never to be attained by anyone. This is God's requirement. So, he's saying, it's not just the physical act of murder, last time we went through it, it's not just the physical act of murder that condemns, it, condemns you, it's your angry heart. It's not just the physical act of adultery, he's going to say this week. It's the lustful desires in your heart. Yikes, right? We're all really doomed, if we're honest with ourselves. It doesn't 
simply condemn our actions, but the kind of trajectory and desires within our hearts. The, the problem is, is we, we are kind of powerless to stop this. You know what I'm saying? Like, you've never been taught to be selfish. Um, these little people that, that come into the world are so dang cute and cuddly, but it doesn't take long to see their kind of true colors come through, does it? <laughs> you, you never gave them the book. Here's um, how to be selfish. Read this book, and um, no, you didn't have to. They just came pre-wired in that way. You can't stop it because we're born with these, because of what happened in Genesis chapter 3, you're born with these desires in your heart for self, and you can't stop it. No one has to teach you these things. That doesn't mean it's okay. So we're not saying, oh, you're born like that, so it's okay. That's not what we're saying. But we're saying let's be real about the fact that all of us have these this heart that's faced inward on ourselves and cares first and foremost about ourselves. All of us are born into the world thinking, I'm a good deity, and I'm going to rule and reign over this earth. That's kind of the, the, the way our hearts are wired. Well, there's no good enough, Jesus is saying. There's no just try your best and I'll make up the rest. Only a perfect righteousness, only a perfect holiness... Only a perfect love for God and neighbor will do. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Heidelberg Catechism has a great way of saying it. In question four, it kind of discusses what's God's law require of us to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And then question five comes along and says, can you live up to this perfectly? Answer, no. I have a natural tendency to hate God and my neighbor. That's quite a way to put that. Thank you, Heidelberg Catechism. I have a propensity to actually hate God and my neighbor. So the standard and the requirement of the law, perfect. Every time, in every instance, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I want to give you some examples of how the law operates because it may be hard to, to get in sort of that lofty spiritual way. But there's a way this operates just in our, in our daily lives that all of us have experienced. So let me give you a little, some of these lesser L laws that operate in our daily life. Um, what about a, a magazine cover? Have any of you women looked at a magazine cover and felt good about yourself? Never once. Because the person on that magazine cover is always so much more perfect than us, right? And so that, that's, that's a picture of what the law does. You don't look at that picture on the cover of that magazine of that beautiful woman and think, yeah, me and her, just like each other. Beyonce and me, we got this thing going together. That's not what happened. No, you, think, you look at it and you think, I, need, I should really work out more. I shouldn't have had that ice cream last night. I need to be more determined, right? And so that magazine cover has condemned you and said, you're not good enough. That's what that has done. That's exactly what the law does. So you are responding to the law as you look at that magazine cover. Good night. Facebook and Twitter are fantastic at this, right? You see these people with these beautiful families, and they're always just like perfectly happy, and the kids are never disobeying and everything, and you look at it, and you're like, what happens in your heart? You feel condemnation. I got to get our kids together. They need to, we need to go get pictures like that in the forest, 
We need to do that. That's what we should be doing. Oh, she makes all of her food from scratch. I need to make my food from scratch. You know, it's all organic. I got to buy organic. Stop buying Swiss cake rolls for these kids and buy some organic stuff. You know, this is the, this is the law. This is condemning you. You're looking at, at the perfect picture of what it means to be a mother, what it means to be a wife, or what it means to be whatever, and it's condemning you. That's the perfect picture of what the law does. It operates like that for me in, 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 uh, when you read other pastors' tweets, you know. Really grateful to speak at this conference with, you know, 10,000 people. Just really grateful to be there. I think, man, I should be at a conference with 10,000 people. What can I do to do that? I need to start doing that. Whatever that guy does, I need to start doing. I'm a terrible pastor. I need to be better at speaking. I should go to, you know, all these, it's condemning me because that's the, the perfect picture of what it looks like to, to be a wonderful pastor, you think, in our head. If you've ever read a parenting blog, that's huge law, right? Because it's, it's giving you a perfect picture of how to raise your kids God's way and do everything perfect, and then you look at the mess of, of a life that you have with your children, and condemnation comes. I was listening on the drive up here, I was listening to a podcast with Mark Cuban, who is the owner of the Dallas Mavericks. And without even trying, this happened to me. Like, he's talking about how he, you know, he, he goes and starts this business, and it, and it does well, and he chases after something else, and he's just diligent and selling door-to-door, and then he makes millions, and he retires at 35, and he, he invests this money, and, and, and then it goes crazy, and he becomes a millionaire, and then a billionaire. And I remember thinking, I need to invest. I, when I, get, I should call somebody about investing when I get back home. And I did, I, it, that was just, you know what I mean? That was the natural thing of my heart to say, he's a perfect picture of what it means to be a, a responsible and diligent, you know, aggressive man financially. I need to do that. And so I found myself condemned in the light of Mark Cuban's all his money and everything. There I was, just driving down the road. So if you're a Christian or not, it doesn't matter. You have experienced what it means to receive the condemnation of the law. You're familiar with it. We're all familiar with it. So, those are sort of the bookends to this section, okay? Your righteousness has to be greater than the scribes and Pharisees. Be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. Now, the other thing that I think is helpful as we go through each of these is verse 19. Whoever relaxes one of these commandments will be called least in the kingdom. Now, when you hear that, like we said before, you might think, Jesus, I'm not sure what you mean by relaxes these commandments. What do you mean? And he says, I'll tell you what you mean, what I mean. Let me go through each one. So here's what I mean with, with do not murder. Relaxing the commandment looks like not including anger in that. Let me talk about adultery. Relaxing that commandment means not including lust. In, in that category. And so he goes through each one of these and shows how a relaxing of the commandment, what exactly that looks like, and how we do that. In verse 28, or 21 through 48 then, the rest of this section is sort of a, is expounding upon that comment about relaxing the law. So if you were online and it said, do not relax the law, and there was a little plus sign next to it, and you clicked on that plus sign, the rest of the chapter would come down. You'd see uh, adultery, you know, equals uh, lust, and uh, murder equals anger. And you'd see all those things listed under there, if that makes sense. I have a weird mind. That's how I view it. The reason that, that this limiting or restricting is such a big deal 
is that it doesn't allow the law to have its intended purpose. And that's why Jesus is so bent on not relaxing the commandments whatsoever. The Apostle Paul in Romans 7, he understands this, and and listen to what he says in Romans 7. There's no water there. Uh, If I had, again, giving, you know, so it's maybe next month, right? Um, The Apostle Paul, it says in Romans 7, "If if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet unless the law, if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Thanks, Dan. So do you hear the Apostle Paul? He's saying the, the effect of the law is to show me that I am covetous. I had no idea about my covetous heart. I was perfectly fine and righteous until the law came and said, don't covet. And then what happens? All of a sudden, I'm coveting everywhere. Everything I realize I'm coveting. And it's, it's nonstop. My heart won't stop producing this covetousness. That's what happens with the law. That's the right use of the law. So when they relax the commandments, they're not allowing that to happen, which that's what Jesus wants. That's what God's always intended with the law for it to do. I had the perfect example of this when we were at uh, my daughter's soccer game. We were speaking with uh, one of the dads who has a son who's like 11 or 12, and we were talking about how they have this new rule that you can't head the ball because of the concussions and all these things that happen, right? So he was saying it's really odd because when the ball comes towards their head, now they're kind of like trying to hit it with their chest or, you know, they're not sure what to do. And then he made this comment. He said, it's like they're more of aware of it now once they, the legislation came. It's like they're more aware of it now once the legislation came. And I was like, yes, that's exactly right. That's Paul in Romans 7. We're more aware of it now because the law said not to do it. And so now when a ball comes towards the head of this kid, he's like, oh, I can't head, what should I do? Oh, it's gonna, I'm going to give my concussion, I've got to protect my frontal lobe or whatever this is, I can't, you know. And he's thinking about it before, there was no problem. The ball came, he headed the ball and went on. You would have asked him, how many times did you head the ball this game? He's like, I, I don't know, I didn't even think about it, I just did it. Same thing with the law. Now the legislation comes, now the law comes, and we notice now all these things in our heart that we didn't notice before. So in our text today, do not lust, essentially. What do we realize then? We realize that we're lusting all over the place. We realize that, you know, we never read the book Five Ways to Lust, yet our heart has learned lusting, and it produces it all the time. And it's a not a good thing. It's a problem. It's a good thing that the law says, do not lust. And we say, I I can't stop. God, help me. I want to try. But every corner, my heart seems to explode with lust without even trying. I don't know if you've experienced this, but I I was so angry at Jesus for saying what he did about murder and anger and then driving around over the last couple of weeks, no lie, I realized what I don't realize very often, and that is how much I kill people on the road. 
I'm murdering people left and right. Come on, dude, seriously? Turn the car, idiot. Come on, moron, let's go. Can we move it along? All these things, I'm like, what? I'm just murdering people right and left. What is this? The same thing with lust. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this section. Last night, I go to, go to Target, and there's a section of women, women, women's bathing suits, and I see the pictures. I look up there, and I think, oh, gosh, you know, this is supposed to be just a nice trip to Target. Now, I can't even go to Target. I see those pictures, and I'm drawn to it. I'm like, oh, that's lust. You get to get away from Oh, gosh. It's a condemnation stroll through Target, you know? Sheesh, Jesus, leave us, give us a break, will you? This, this is, this is what, what our hearts produce, and Jesus is kindly pointing it out so that we might repent of it and turn to him for help and salvation. This section, again, is not a section about Jesus coming and saying, okay, let me tell you how to, to be better in these circumstances. Remember, that's really, really important. Jesus isn't doing a teaching on how to be righteous but not angry, uh, or angry righteous, or I don't know, whatever we say. He's not giving a, a, a talk here on lust and saying, here's how to you know, see beautiful people but not lust after them. That, that's not what he's doing. Those may be good teachings and important things, and Paul may even talk about those later. But here with Jesus, what he's doing is a teaching on the law, and he's using these examples to illustrate the fact that our hearts are evil and wicked and bent towards these things, and the law condemns us. That's what he's doing here in Matthew chapter 5. So he doesn't come and and say, hey, I'll make you better than you were before. I'll take some of your good deeds and add my good deeds, and we'll have a wonderful good deed mix here. That's not what he's doing. He's saying, he's coming and saying, listen, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. Let me show you how dead you are. Your heart is filled with murder. Your heart is filled with adultery. You're dead. But I have good news. I raise the dead. I have power over death. So look at the law, feel the condemnation, look at the Savior, see his resurrected body and and his victory over death, and be extremely thankful that Jesus saves people like us. All right, back to the sermon summary. The command, do not commit adultery, condemns our regular and reoccurring lustful thoughts. Three things then to kind of look at specifically with this section on lust. I want us to hear the expansiveness of the command. So Jesus does what he always does in this section, which is you have heard it was said, but I say. So he kind of expands the command a bit or or shows us the expansiveness of the command is a better. He's not giving anything new, remember. Keep Keep me honest with that. He's not giving anything new, but he's showing the reality and the depth of the law. So the expansiveness of the command and then the seriousness of the command and the punishment of the command. Matthew 5, 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I find it interesting what Jesus says. He did not say, which is the way I read it normally, he didn't say, everyone who looks at a woman with adulterous intent. That's kind of how we read it, isn't it? So look, 
as long as you're not looking at men or women, I know this is a, a female problem and a male problem. We're just going to pick on the guys because it's Mother's Day. Um, but look, you know, look at a woman, look at, a, at another man, whatever it might be, and um, just, just make sure you don't have adulterous thoughts. You know? That's not what Jesus is saying here. Look at the text. He says, anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent... Man, that pretty much includes everything, doesn't it? Just, just an intent to lust. Don't look at someone with an intent to lust. So it's not as, hey, as long as I don't fantasize about sleeping with another woman or as long as I don't uh, fantasize about uh, being on a, a wonderful getaway with another man or something like that, I'm not condemned. No, that would be adulterous intent. Jesus is talking about lustful intent. You see how expansive this is. Jesus correcting the misunderstanding of the law that neglects the heart motives and says, just don't do anything with your body, right? Physical, and you're okay. Jesus says, no way. It's about the heart. It's about desires. It's about those things that are in you without you even trying. I want you to imagine a piece of paper with, with in the middle the word adultery, and that circled, that, that's the way that the scribes and Pharisees, I think, are teaching this, that adultery is the act of adultery. And then around that are all these other things like enjoying the beauty of a woman in, in the movies, um, being drawn to a TV show because of the attractiveness of one of the actresses, actresses or actors, daydreaming about having a different spouse, seeing another man or woman and thinking, I wonder what it would be like to be married to him or her. Thinking about what sex with someone else would be like. Wishing your spouse had a body a little bit more like that person over there. Watching a sport and and enjoying the beauty of the athlete. So all those things are kind of on the peripheral. And Jesus says, now I'm expanding the circle to include all of those as well. Wow. That's extremely condemning to all of us, isn't it? He's expanding that circle. It makes sense to me now because Jesus isn't saying just keep yourself from really bad lusting or just don't get super angry. It's not what he's saying. Zero lusting, zero intent to lust, perfect righteousness is what the law demands. So it makes sense then why Jesus would say earlier in the beginning of his sermon, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It makes sense that he would say that now, doesn't it, when you face these commands? Because we're all in the face of those mourning. We're all in the face of those desiring a righteousness that we can't produce ourselves. The expansiveness of the command. Secondly, the seriousness of the command. If your right eye, uh, Matthew 5, 29 and 30, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it is better you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. So how serious is God about this law? How serious is Jesus about these commands of do not have 
a heart that is intent on lusting. So serious that he would say, cut off your hand, um, gouge out your eyes. You see how that's different from like, just kind of do your best and we'll, I'll forgive and it's no big deal. It's very serious. I also think that Jesus is speaking a little to the religious teachers in their language. So, in other words, they are very uh, much focused on just the physical, right? So, as long as you don't do this physical act, you're not in sin and, and that sort of thing. And so, I think he's a little bit almost directing and kind of digging at them a little bit, saying like, all right, guys, if we're going to play by your rules, then I guess if um, you're caught, if, if you have a lustful eye, just tear it out and then you'll be fine, right? And then you won't lust anymore because it's just a physical thing. Or if you have, you know, some other problem, just cut your hand off and you won't have that problem anymore. And we realize that, hold on a second, that actually doesn't cure the problem. You know, it's not like if you can't see, you automatically get a ticket to heaven because you're not lustful or something. That's not the truth. There was a monk who one time said, I go out to the desert and all I see is dancing girls. He was saying, look, I try to remove myself from all of it. And guess what? My heart's so bent on lust, it actually creates the images itself so it can lust after them. Goodness, how lustful is that heart? And this is a monk. None of you are monks. I know that much. Spending your time, Jesus is saying to these religious people, condemning other people for their sins and being puffed up in your holiness, neglecting your heart, why don't you tear your eyes out and cut your hand off and take the law as seriously as it demands? But Jesus shows the expansiveness of the command, do not commit adultery, including the heart and lustful intent. We know this wouldn't fix the problem. The solution is not to gouge out your eyes. Number three, then, the punishment of the command. What does the offense of a heart that is intent has an intent to lust? What, what's the punishment there? Verse 30, it's better to lose one of your members than your whole body go to hell. So, Jesus, are you saying that because of my lustful heart, the intent of, of my heart, that I deserve hell, that I deserve to be separated you for, from you forever. That's what it sounds like for, to me from the text. It's not like a little slap on the hand. It's not like a, a, a no big deal. It, the, the, the law requires absolute perfection. And if you don't meet that, there's no levels. It's just you haven't met it. You deserve ultimate condemnation, ultimate separation. Now, in the face of that extremely encouraging message, from Jesus, do not have lustful intent, two reactions probably come to our hearts. I know they do in mine. The first reaction is something of like the religious response, which would be, I need to, I need to, to fix this, right? I need to, to get on this and fix it. And that's, that's kind of the, the, I need to rid my life of my, my lustful intent. The second response sometimes is, like an, uh, an anti-law 
response, which would be, well, we're all lustful anyway, so what does it matter? God will forgive us, right? Sort of like, hey, the good news is that I enjoy sin and God enjoys forgiving, so we make a perfect match. No. So both of those have a little shred of truth to them, um, but that, those are wrong responses for what Jesus is, is aiming at here in chapter 5. Both of those are off track. I think what Jesus is inviting us into is two things, to look the law square in the face, receive the condemnation from it, uh, see our heart is full of lustful intent, and do two things, repent and receive. Repent as you look the law square in the face, repent of your lustful heart, proclaim your absolute dependence upon God to, to renew your heart and make it new, and, and to give you more love for Him and less love for self and, and less lustful intent. He's the only one that can cure that heart. And so you repent of that and ask Him to change you and make you new. And then secondly, you receive life in Him. You receive life in Jesus Christ. That life, free of lustful intent, zero perfect righteousness, the exact thing the law requires, the exact thing that God requires is for you. Jesus' righteousness. Receive that righteousness first as a righteousness we could never create on our own. Find your rest and hiding place in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to give you some verses for reflection this week. Maybe we could spend some time this week as you drive or whatever you do, wake up a a little early or stay up late or whatever, I don't know, and meditate on these verses. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Just receive these and hear these. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind, and were all by nature children of wrath, full of lustful intent, like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, praise God for verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when our hearts were full of lustful intent, He made us alive together with Christ. How have we been saved? It's by grace you have been saved and raised up with Him and seated with Him, the perfectly righteous one, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Let's let that instruct us this week and teach us and ask God that he would make, make that and impress that upon our hearts this week. Let's pray together. God, we come to you repenting of our sin. We are in the midst of our being aware of our lust that's in our hearts, would you please, in your graciousness, keep us from neglecting it, keep us from looking over it, 
Keep us from thinking we can fix it ourselves. Help us to run to you and to mourn and to ask and seek for righteousness and renewal, regeneration. Thank you for salvation. And we know that, as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, we are seated in the heavenly realms with you. Would you allow us to maybe understand that on a much deeper level? Help us, we pray. We're, we're desperate. Have mercy upon us, sinners. Thank you, Jesus, for your life, your victorious life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.